Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who take big pieces of wood and make them smaller. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Welcome to Wood Talk number 168 for February 3rd, 2014. On today's show, we're talking about tool quality. Yep, that's it. Tool quality. But before we get to that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Festool. With a TS55 REQ track saw, your first cut is the finish cut. See how the new TS55 delivers straight, glue-ready, splinter-free results in the shop and on the job site at FestoolUSA.com. And by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash woodtalk. All right, so let's talk tool quality. Good tools, bad tools, cheap tools, expensive tools. Uh, let's just bite right into the meat of it, shall we, guys? Oh, good, because I am starving. Yeah, Matt just mentioned a BLT. I think his mouth is watering here, so we need to get going. Okay, so tool quality. Now, this is, uh, I think this is an interesting topic, and let's explain a little bit more where we're going with this. Um, one thing we might want to touch on is in the past, uh, Shannon had written a blog post about um, just a little bit of an annoyance that he's having with a, a growing trend to... Uh, what? How, how would you explain it? I want to speak for you, but it, it has to do with tool quality and sort of uh, folks giving him crap about the fact that he's using an expensive saw or he's got a higher quality tool. And he yeah, feels you like, elitist. Exactly. <laughs> it's almost like he's being pinned as an elitist when, you know, it, that, that may not necessarily be the case. So Shannon, we'll let you kind of well, explain your, your thought process behind that. To be fair, uh, actually, this all went on on Facebook a while ago. Um, it, it was it's one of those things, and I know that the two of you guys have run into this too. Um, Mark, I know you've, I may have even harassed you. <laughs> Me? Before. Be harassed for having expensive tools? Never. Um, I, and I can't really put a finger on any one kind of this is what happened, but yeah. you know, we're, we're we as content producers, and especially um, guys, have been doing this for a while. Um, if you just discover my website or just discover my podcast, you go, man, this guy's got a lot of tools. Well, the truth of the matter is I've been building that toolkit for like 10 years. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, well, that that's well and good. I, everybody could do that if they had, you know, that plane or that really nice saw. And, you know, so that was kind of on my mind. And then I started seeing this like popping up like other places outside of the woodworking world. And it was just like, when did it become okay to like – be mad at people for having things that you don't. Um, so then it gets into a much greater social issue of have versus have not. But, you know, anytime you look at a, at a larger social issue, you generally can trace it back into your own little, in your own little world, um, to your own little bubble, Matt, if that, that helps you. Um, Definitely. I love bubbles. So <laughs> you, if you look at, at the woodworking world, you can see this everywhere. And it's like recently it seems like it's cool to be frugal. Um, and, and I may be hesitant to even say that because it's not like there's anything wrong with watching your pennies, but we've seen this kind of anarchist tool chest movement where let's get by with much fewer tools. It's, it's, it's cool to, to do things with much fewer tools. And, and I, I've gone down that route. I've actually spent quite a bit of time in the last year trying to understand, you know, what happens when you eliminate all these other kind of luxury item tools. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, is, we like tools. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing you know, wrong with necessarily having really good quality tools. 
Um, and no, it doesn't necessarily make you a better woodworker, but at the same time, if this is something we really enjoy doing, why not do it with like really good stuff? Well, you yeah. know, but I, I won't even go so far as to say, so with the whole anarchist tool thing where you, you're going to strip it down to just some basic ones, there's even though there are those within that group who will even question like, well, these have to be ones that, you know, you've completely renovated and you've saved them from pigeon poop in the back of a dilapidated <laughs> barn someplace. And if you right. go so far as to purchase these pre-manufactured from uh, manufacturer XYZ, you're not a real woodworker. Right, right. And that translates across the entire spectrum. You know, if you if you buy a workbench, ooh, you should be ashamed of yourself, you know. Right. Um, and I think we've seen this in, in the power tool world. Well, actually, that's what's interesting. Is it the same in the power tool world? I think you so. Know, you get these guys that restore like the 1950 Unisaw and it's like, wow, that's really cool. But you know, I'm going to go buy my, my saw stop or my powermatic. Maybe in certain circles, but I don't see it very much. Yeah. I, mean, well, I don't, I don't think it's as, as prevalent in, in the power tool world, but there are plenty of people who would uh, say like, if you, if you purchase from a certain manufacturer or you purchase a, um, maybe a, a certain model that that is more like the that's the uppity version mm-hmm. of what you, you could have. Because I remember a long time ago uh, and a long time just being like, you know, six months or so ago. Actually, no, it was a few years ago. Uh, I want to say that there was a certain popular woodworking editor who kind of pointed out the fact that the price that we pay for a lot of our power tools today, what might even be considered like entry level power tools, the ones you'd pick up at, say, like the home center versus specialized ones, they're so dirt cheap compared to what they were previously, but yet we're still complaining about them. When, if you give me a second here to go off on this tangent, when, when you look at, say, uh, old woodworking, like old craftsmen, say, when you know the whole apprentice master type of thing, and the idea was like you bought one tool, say, a month when you could afford it, and you, mm-hmm. you, you spent as much money as possible, you know, whatever happened to that idea of. You know, purchase a tool, get the, the the best one you could possibly afford, and don't simply scrimp because you know you're trying to, I don't know, save as much money as possible. You should be you should be looking to buy the highest quality possible. I think the problem is, and where where that leads people down a, a tricky path is that when they're buying that tool for the first time, they don't necessarily have the guidance of that old wise woodworker there to say, you know, this is the tool that you need to buy because it will serve you well for your career. Um, This is a situation where they're inundated with lots of influence and lots of information. And uh, Matt, Matt says saw stop and Mark says powermatic. Um, But I can only afford, uh, you know, this Ryobi saw. So I think they're in a, a situation where they can't necessarily make a good decision on what that final tool is because they don't really know exactly what they're going to be doing yet. So um, while I like that theory in some senses, I think for newbies, it can be very difficult for them to follow that logic because they could wind up spending thousands of bucks on a saw that they may not necessarily like or may wind up not using in the future. Right. Well, what if the idea of, well, this is, this is really kind of stretching it, but to me, it's like, God, this is so horrible to say, I, I, and I don't want anybody like to really read into this, but I know people will, given that the fact that I have a, a new cabinet saw, which I replaced a perfectly good cabinet saw with. And But to me, like a, a table saw could almost be like a car, like the type of thing where you can trade it in for a better model some point <laughs> down the road. Well, you know, if you get a decent one, for the most part, these things will hold their value. 
Um, So you can actually sell them used for near new price and reinvest that into something in the future. And and I'm, you know, I've done that throughout my career. I've gone through multiple table saws, multiple jointers, and you could say, well, I could have saved money by getting the one I have now and uh, getting that years ago. Uh, But I didn't really know that I needed that much or wanted that much at that time. I needed to work my way up there. Um, So so for me, yeah, it's a pain in the butt having to buy these things and swap them in. And I did in the long run wind up losing some money, Uh, not a tremendous amount because I most of the time would be able to recuperate my investment. Um, But even I, as I dish out advice to people every day about tools, made stupid tool buying decisions as I, you know, went through my process in the craft. Right. Yeah. Well, I think you need to, unfortunately. I think you need to make those, those type of mistakes because that's the one thing. It's like whenever somebody contacts us, you know, the, my favorite is, and we've talked about this before, like when somebody will ask specifically about a certain model, and it's like, I can't tell you about that model, but I can give you you know, general ideas of what I like in this type of tool. And maybe you'll find these useful also. Yeah. Well, don't, I mean, now going back to Shannon's discussion on Facebook, do, a lot of this is sort of that typical counterculture that may develop when there's a uh, status quo that seems, or at least what people are interpreting as that, um, to reject the status quo, to say, you know what? No, you don't need Festool to do this. You don't need Powermatic tools to do this. Um, you right. certainly don't need a $400 handsaw to, to cut a joint. Um, and, and it develops because there's a lot of people now getting into the, the craft of woodworking and they're getting in through, and we bring her up all the time and we mean this with all due respect to, to Anna White. I think she's a very talented, great uh, person who does a lot of good for the community of, of people getting into the craft of woodworking. But these aren't people who are coming into it with a woodworker's knowledge set. They're coming into it from a DIY perspective and they just want to be able to get that item that's being built or or that they see in a store. They want to get a version of that for themselves and they just want the pride of doing it on their own. Do they necessarily need the level of tools that the three of us may aspire to? No. You know, so I think, so that's a huge movement and and we've talked about the pallet wood movement. Um, that's all part of it. It's people who are making do with very little to make something great. And I think that movement is becoming so strong that there may be a few in that group who almost feel these sort of disparaging thoughts toward people who do have, um, really nice tools and they want to then blame that person's successes on the (laughs) fact that they have an expensive tool, which is kind of BS, but that's what happens sometimes. Well, you know, and I think that there is this, this idea that, um, totally just lost my train of thought. Well, well, you know, if I can say this one thing is, you know, again, you not, to, not to make it make it out that we're, we're, we're putting individuals in a, a certain category and saying, you know, like this category bad, this category good. I, there are plenty of things, depending on the materials you're working with, that a lower end material works out perfectly fine. Like you were kind of mentioning there, you know, for, for entry level stuff or just because you enjoy using it. There's absolutely nothing wrong. It's when just because you enjoy using it and you have good results with it. It's when you turn around and tell somebody else like, well, I can do this. Why can't you do it? Instead, you have to turn to these more expensive yeah. materials. That's what really gets under my skin. Well, ultimately, it's like, you know what? If someone wants to woodwork with the cheapest tools possible because they're just, you know, stingy with their money and they're buying right. crap um, and every tool they get, you know, is a, uh, let me give you a Harbor Freight story in a little bit. Um, you, you know, they can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. If that makes them happy and that's what they enjoy doing, great. And if someone is a very wealthy hobbyist who only buys the best of the best and, you know, doesn't really use them that often because they're busy and then they, when they do make their stuff, they make crap, but they have really expensive tools. Well, you know what? 
that's his life or her life that they can do what they want to do for it. Just one, one thing that annoys me is when I see people like throwing crap across the aisle over this tool thing, when you're really judge, you're kind of judging each other in a way that's just ridiculous. Like let, let people do what, whatever the heck they want to do. Um, right. Don't be so uppity about it. Whether you're in favor of cheap tools or in favor of pricey tools, let people do what the hell they want to do. Um, I, it, right. The, the bottom line to me is, you know, it just, if anything, because we have people on both sides of the aisle, you, the fact that you, you can make something is, that's the only thing, that's the important part. That is the absolute we're all here to do. Part. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and, and that, again, it comes down to what is, what is important to you. You know, there's a lot of us that really enjoy our time in the shop and enjoy the build process. Right. And to me, if you're one of those people, wouldn't you want to invest money in, in bettering that experience by having nice quality tools that you're proud of that look pretty and all that fun stuff. If, if what you're really in this for is to just churn stuff out. And I think that grows out of this movement or not movement, but the idea that, Oh, well I could make that cheaper if I made it myself. Well, yeah, yeah it's that, that, that myth <laughs> and we'll call it a myth dies very quickly. Once you start, you know, buying lumber and even buying cheap tools, you can find that that doesn't really fly but that impression coming into it is oh i should be able to save money by doing this sure so then the goal is the finished piece that looks just like whatever it was you saw in the store or saw in the catalog and Mm -hmm. i think those are two very different things yeah and you know for me i'm and i'm not ashamed to admit it that my shop the way my shop works the way it looks the tools that are in it and the tools that i pick up every day to do my job is it's a very important part of my personal gratification of what I do. Absolutely, And that's, that's just me. I don't, there are people who it's all about the wood. It's all about the craft and the, uh, the, the product that they get at the end of that experience. That's what it is for them. And that's part of it for me. But another part of it is I enjoy opening my shop doors and seeing my stuff. And that's very materialistic in a sense, but it's an integral part of my love for what I do with woodworking. And, and so yeah. could you guys easily say that a, a big part of uh, what, what we're kind of talking about here is um, for, for us, at least it, it's the appreciation of how the tool works and the results that we can get from it versus I know my, myself uh, in the past couple of years, I've really been on a kick to uh, kind of uh, cull my, my tools of ones that it, it's more of a. A struggle to get a good result from it so mm-hmm. therefore i appreciate or i have an appreciation for what a, a maybe a higher quality version of that same tool can do and so therefore i'm willing to you know put the money out there for it but then there are of course other ones that i'm like mm, this one's perfectly fine to just get a kick yeah. around or beater up or kind of thing well i mean look yeah. at it this way the three of us can absolutely and just about any woodworker who starts to learn about joinery and and the finer techniques we can all appreciate quality craftsmanship right we we look right. at pieces of furniture and go that's a beautiful piece of furniture one thing that some people do is also looking at the tools in that very same way. Uh, we really have an appreciation for a very finely stitched rasp, you know, or or a particular power tool that's been given more thought about its ergonomics and efficient dust collection, such as a Festool tool, for instance. Um, when we see that quality craftsmanship that we put into our furniture put into a tool, it's compelling to us. And, yes, and absolutely. that doesn't make it wrong. It's just the way it is. And I think that may be one of the defining things that makes the difference between someone who is, you know, okay, not buying the best stuff and people who are obsessed with buying the best stuff. 
Well, and there's some of that too, is especially on the hand tool side of things, we have this explosion of boutique makers. Oh, yeah. Well, I know these guys now. I've met these people. Mm-hmm. Um, in some instances, I've, I've toured their shops. I've seen the work that they put into some of these tools, and I want to support them. So, not, you know, it, it's helpful that by supporting them, I end up with a really beautiful tool that works incredibly well. But every time, it's that connection. Every time I pick up, you know, um, a plane or a saw or whatever, and I use it, and I'm like, man, that just works so well. You know, next time I see that guy or, or next time I'm in an email conversation, I'm like, hey, you know, I was just using your saw last night. I got to just kudos again. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And to me, that really adds to the my community experience of woodworking. Um, again, it's a very solitary thing we do. So being able to draw that connection to the, the guy that actually made that saw or made that plane or whatever – that that's important to me, and yeah. I'm glad to be able to support these guys as best I can. Sure, you know? sure. Well, well let you me know, we're, we're in such a renaissance right now, as you're saying, like with all all the boutiques that there is like this weird this weird world that we're in right now, where we're kind of straddling this you know this time period of where. It used to be if you wanted a similar tool, you had to go out and as much as I joked around about finding the pigeon covered one in the back of some dilapidated barn, there's some truth behind that. It wasn't that long ago when a lot of these tools, you did have to go find stuff like that. Yeah, you know, like and five those, years ago, not even then. You know? Right, exactly. I mean, if anybody that's gone to the Woodworking Americas in any type of – even if you've missed a couple of them, as soon as you go, you're suddenly like, oh my gosh, there's a whole entire row full of nothing but hand plane makers. Where the heck did this come from? You know, and then even on the power tool side, we're at a point now, I think, with technology and the way that we can manufacture things that you can get these insane tolerances that, you know, you only dreamed of. And it's it's again, if you if it's something that you want to add to your shop, totally go for it. One thing I I, want to do is is kind of mention, like, you know, when it comes to the uh, the materials that we we kind of mentioned the whole thing about like pallet wood stuff like that. Shannon, do you remember when the woodworking in America, we were in Chicago and we were in the Brian Boggs class and there was somebody that was discussing like, you know, the materials, like why would you ever want to use like pine? Don't you ever want to get your clients away from using, you know, like these domestic materials is what I, I got from this individual. But I'm the type of person that I love uh, materials that are um, like I don't like color consistency. That's weird. I don't know why. I, I like pieces that are really oddball. And I have a feeling that some people would look at my projects and go, "That's really ugly." And I look at it and go, "No, it's unique." <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yes, yes. You know, I think the biggest difference we have today is who these makers of tools are actually targeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and this may be, again, why we see this heavily in the hand tool side, you know, when it comes to rehabbing and it, it's cooler to rehab a hand tool than a power tool, is back in the day, um, there were a lot more people who were using hand tools because that was the solution. There were a lot more people working wood. Um, to be a tradesman was still, uh, well, I'll go so far as to say a respected thing. You know, this is before this whole blue collar, white collar thing and the social mores that come with that. There were a lot of craftsmen because there was a lot more stuff being manufactured, at least in, in this country. Um, so there were a lot more makers of tools. And there were mid-range tools and upper mid-range tools and high-end tools. Mm. Well, as that died off and more and more manufacturing went to, um, you know, the big factories and things like that, companies like Stanley 
had to change their quality because nobody was buying stuff anymore. They had to reduce their costs and then they started turning out crappy planes, you know, and that's the way it was until, you know, Tom Lee Nielsen opened up, what, 30 years ago now and started saying we can make a high quality hand plane. Well, at that point, just because of the raising of cost to manufacture, cost of living, inflation, all that stuff, things became suddenly much more expensive. So right off the, the right out of the gates, these tools were marketed towards a, a more affluent person, uh, right. um, because there weren't there there wasn't much in the way of the blue collar hourly wage, you know, um, lower to middle income person who was doing woodworking anymore. Um, it had become a hobbyist thing. Yeah, you know, there were fewer and fewer professional woodworkers, and the people that were doing it now were in it for fun not to make money. And, you know, I think some of that has started to change. We're seeing more people who are, the handmade movement is, is, is big. So we are seeing more kind of professional woodworkers, but that's a very recent thing. Well, it'll be interesting to see how much impact that has on tool quality because the bottom has just gotten lower, you know, so as manufacturing (laughs) has been sent overseas, quality just uh, decisions are made within these companies. It isn't like they couldn't make them better. They choose not to because they need to hit that certain price point so that they could put a $99 tag on it and put it in Home Depot. Um, So this goes back to that article you were talking about, uh, Matt. I remember that, and I believe it was a Chris Schwarz article talking about the comparative cost of a circular saw, I don't know, maybe 40 years ago or something like that, uh, to to what it is today. And that the saws back then were much more expensive. Um, You couldn't even imagine getting one for the price that we pay today. So we are actually getting the quality we're paying for. And right. I think when, when most average people get into woodworking, I know this is the way it was for me, you either go to Sears, Home Depot, or Lowe's, and you start to look at what you interpret as the world of power tools or the world of even hand tools. If you go and buy a little Buck Brothers plane, um, you know, and I think <laughs> that's, stop. And that's part of the problem because most of the stuff that's there, not all of it. I mean, there are always, you know, diamonds in the rough and, and some gems and certainly some uh, very usable tools there. But I think the problem is the lowest end has just gotten much much lower than i think is is really good for for people especially when those people are new uh, that means right. they need they need the safest tool possible they need the most reliable tool possible just so that they can have a good experience and a safe experience and unfortunately those entry level tools aren't really going to provide as safe of an experience or as reliable of an experience as a a slightly better tool might yeah and they are specifically manufactured not to last Right, um, to be you know, replaceable. Why, why would we make a tool that lasts? Because the entire society is built around a disposable idea. You know, you get a new car every three years. You know, why would you want your tool to last any more than three years? Yeah. Um, and and, then, and the, the high end of that low end market is, oh, well, this design professionals are a lot more use into it. But even then, those are meant to essentially not last more than a couple of years. Like the construction grade, job site grade tools. Right. Those, those supposedly the pinnacle, the, the durable, ultra durable made for the pro, you know, two years at most. And then you, you got to go get a new one. Um, so it, it's, it's a totally different market. And I think it's a market of people who, um, like we've said, they're in it for the love of doing it um, and the pure pride that comes from making something um, themselves. Right. Um, so why would you skimp and, and buy, you know, a crappy tool? Right. And, and let's face it, woodworking is not cheap. <laughs> it is not a hobby, you know, that, that you jump into lightly and necessarily can expect to, to 
spend 50 bucks and be ready to go. Yeah. I suppose it can be, you know, I mean, I, I, I hate to say that because there are people that, you know, look at the guy in Africa building guitars <laughs> that we highlighted, um, I don't know, some time ago on, on, on the show. Uh, he's got, you know, a bunch of beat up old planes that he's setting in the dirt in the background in those shots and a couple of chisels and he's building guitars, you right, know, which right. to me has always been one of those pinnacles of woodworking sure. to build an instrument is, is really, really fine woodworking. So there's certainly where there's a will, there's the way, but you know, in my mind, um, like you, Mark, I open the door to my shop and I'm like, this, this is my clubhouse. Right. You know, I want cool stuff in here. And um, it's and it's something that you've worked toward. It's not something that you immediately turned around in a week. Um, you and I, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think all three of us have been doing woodworking, just whether it's online or off, you know, for comparable amounts of time. This is something we've been building to for over a decade. Um, yeah. We didn't just start out this way. Um, the problem is now that we make videos and we teach other people how to do woodworking, which can even when we don't intend it to be that way could give the impression that these tools are necessary to get woodworking done because that's what we use without the context, knowing that this is a 10 year journey on my part that brought me to this point. And I also happened to do a show that's sponsored and, and in part, part, you know, funded by uh, corporations who make tools. Um, that's why my shop looks the way it does. The problem is they may walk away with the wrong impression if they are not constantly reminded that you can do this with less expensive tools and and other brands than the ones that I'm using. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not about to put that in disclaimer in every show. I like to think that if you're paying attention to the details, it's sort of implied that if you don't have a green and black uh, circular saw that you can make your own guide and use your Porter cable or skill saw and get the job done just as well. You know, one yeah, just buy some spray paint. <clears throat> there you go. Paint, paint that across exactly. the red circular yeah. saw. Um, so, so here's a good question for you guys. Does cheap, always equal low quality. You know, I'm going to say no, it doesn't. I, I think there, there are manufacturers out there still, and I, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head right now because you put me under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> but but there, are, there are truly are manufacturers that realize who their, their intended, intended customers are, yeah. and they may even be uh, like first generation people that they're doing this because they enjoy making these products and seeing the results from them and, and interacting with the customers that to them, it's like, Oh, I make money off this. That's really cool. Yeah. I would uh, just to give you an example, I've probably got a couple, but one that always comes to mind is this, uh, Ryobi, Ryobi, however the heck they pronounce it. Um, oscillating, uh, spindle sander. And I don't believe it's Mm -hmm. on the market anymore, but this thing was like 90 bucks at the time, picked it up at Home Depot. And it's such a simple tool. It doesn't really ask a lot. You know, it doesn't need a whole lot to, to work properly, but this thing was great. It was like, and the only reason I uh, uh, got rid of it was because I had an opportunity to get a uh, floor standing jet unit with a nice big, tall drum on it. Um, But it was in great shape. I sold it to to a friend for cheap and now they're using it and it's been, you know, it's still running years and years later. Um, So, so there are examples of this, like um, there's a whole forum, uh, BT three central. Have you guys ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so old forum been around forever. These are guys, and I believe it's a isn't it a Ryobi BT3 table saw um, that they all have in common. And this is not an expensive saw. I don't even know what their current you know what what the current offerings are. I don't know if the BT3 is even being sold anymore. But it was one of those saws that was like reasonably priced. It was a sort of that job site style saw, 
but worked really well. And there was a group of people who kind of gathered together around their, their fandom, their appreciation for this inexpensive saw that worked great. And people made tons of great furniture using a very inexpensive saw. And it just, you know, the company, I guess, got all the, the things right for that particular price point, And it just worked. You know, so there's a lot of examples of stuff like that. Um, but there are also a lot of counter examples of cheap tools um, that didn't fare so well. Like uh, my father-in-law's Chicago electric miter saw that fell apart in my hands while I was using it. <laughs> yeah, that's always fun. <laughs> that was scary. You know, I I think it comes down to cheap. Well, of course, that's a relative term in and of itself, but cheap isn't necessarily low quality. But I think it, again, comes back to the durability issue. Mm -hmm. You know, how long will it work that way? Um, And and how much do you have to kind of jigger with it? And, and, you know, we've had those tools you've used a while. And, yeah, I should spend some time to make that fence more more in line with the blade. But instead, I've just taped this shim here, you know, and it just stays there for three years. Um, I think actually in the hand tool world, cheap actually can be low quality when it comes to new manufactured things. Yes. Well, actually, you can't even really buy cheaply used stuff anymore. <laughs> um, the vintage hand tool market has gotten a little nuts when it comes to uh, um, the prices. Mm-hmm. But if you find a cheap hand tool, it probably is cheap. <laughs> and, and I mean that in a very bad way. There's just, there is not a big enough market for hand tools. So if you're going to make um, make a hand tool, it needs to be really high quality. It's got to have high tolerances because that's kind of the precedent that's been set mm-hmm. by Lee Valley and Lee Nielsen. Um, and all, I mean, those are really the players when you think about it. Sure. Those are the only really manufacturers of hand tools. Uh, everybody else is just a you know, couple dudes in a garage somewhere. Um, that's, that's really it. Um, and, and their tolerances are so high. So if you're going to try to compete with them, um, the only way you can do it is by cutting corners. And, you know, Wood River is a good example. They're not bad planes, but the, you can definitely see the difference when you look at the manufacturing and the forging stage. Mm. The, the castings of the, the soles don't hold a candle to what Lee Nielsen does. Yeah. Um, and it, it's cheap. <laughs> There's a reason that they're, you know, half the price because they're they're more cheaply made right um but even then some people would say well, those aren't cheap you know it's 150 dollars for that plane so um uh, wood river would be an example of an emerging middle ground i think sure um, sure finally finally an emerging middle ground yeah well and you're you're so right about the relativity of the whole thing because i, I think someone on um in that little twitter flare up the other day someone had said that if uh, if they thought they had to buy a four hundred dollar uh, circular saw to do woodworking, they would have never started, right? You know, and it's like that. And that hobbyist, the it, I guess the, someone else had said that hobbyists don't use Festool. Like people who are only into the craft for fun aren't really going to have a need for that. And the funny thing about that is, I think that's actually counterintuitive to the way that I see a hobby. Um, for me, hobbies are things that are done with. Um, expendable income. It's your extra money that you put into right. your hobby. Well, guess what? Some people have a butt ton of extra money, right. you know, and they just want the best because they've got the money to get the best. So I think when you're talking about a hobby, it's so relative because we're literally talking about your income, my income, uh, how much I value this particular tool in my life. Do I prioritize it over going out and drinking? And, uh, you know, uh, right. that's one thing I always, <laughs> in my family, like when someone wants to talk about money, I'm like, well, look, I don't drink. 
I don't smoke. I barely go out other than to, you know, go out to eat with my wife once in a while. So if I want to spend, you know, like a bunch of money on video games, because that's what I do for fun, that's what I'm going to do. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> well, and, and there's this idea that, um, oh, well, that's expensive. That's really only targeted toward pros. Yeah. How many professional woodworkers do you know that are wealthy? Right, right. So Most I can't of them, think of a single one. Yeah, you know, you know they are usually quite poor. <laughs> and, and we, they, we joke around about you know the, the fact that there there are plenty of professional woodworkers, like ones that people pay good money to go see these people lecture. That they'll talk about a particular tool, and you see that twinkle in their eye, like I can't wait till the day I can own one of those. I love it when people come to my school and they bring this tool because then I actually get to use it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. right. All well, right. It, it it's just it's silly. That's the only thing I can think to say. It's just dang silly. Well, you know, the whole thing about like the, the hobby thing. I mean, I was in a mountain biking for years, and you want to talk about a, a hobby that can just suck the cash <laughs> out of your wallet yeah, faster no than kidding. you can make it. Yeah. You know that that absolutely. You know, it, and I know for a fact that the, the my most expensive bike was nowhere near what it could be. But it's an example again where I ran into guys out on the trail where I'm like, is that a Schwinn? And I'd buy Schwinn. I mean, like, did you? just take that from your kid because i haven't seen streamers like that on a trail in years you know and it's just nice. really a matter of how how much money do you want to put into it what do you want to get out of it are you willing to do it and if you are good for you matt right. I, matt i like your banana seat thank you <laughs> i know I've, awesome. it's a it's a phoenix coming off of it it's awesome well, now's a good time to talk about our friends at audible.com. Now, you guys know I'm a big fan of this service. I've used it for years. It keeps me company in the shop and anytime I go on a long drive. Um, in fact, I'm going to a woodworking class this week and I've got about a six hour drive. So you can bet I got about three or four books queued up that I can listen to. And I listen to them on like one and a half, two times speed. <laughs> so I get through them pretty quickly. Um, and I, I do love my fiction, but I also love to get good advice. And one of the things I need a lot of advice on these days is parenting. Uh, our little boy is um, two, almost two and a half years old. So he's in those toddler phases that can be kind of challenging for parents and being a first time parent. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. So um, a lot of great parenting books over on Audible. So what we're reading right now is a book called Teach Your Children Well, Parenting for Authentic Success. And I'm not all the way through it, but I will let you know what I think after I'm done. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's that. There's a ton of fiction, nonfiction, periodicals, so much stuff on there uh, that it's just, it's a great service. So if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash woodtalk, you could sign up for the service, get a free audio book, and uh, you won't regret it. I'm on a plan where I get one, basically one book a month, and that works out well for me. It keeps me company in the shop while I'm doing stuff that uh, doesn't require as much attention as, you know, maybe operating a power tool. It's it's a nice accompaniment as long as it's within the, the confines of safe use. But um, I think you guys will really enjoy it. So audiblepodcast.com slash woodtalk and get your free audio book. Well, here's, here's the thing. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about used tools. Now, this may, you know, vary with hand tools, uh, as Shannon alluded to before. Uh, but certainly in power tools, there is still a lively market of good quality tools that you can get used at an inexpensive price or, you know, again, relatively inexpensive. So one great way to get those higher quality tools where you don't have to cut corners is to just be a little bit more patient and look at used resources because people are 
I mean, be frank, people are dying and people are changing their minds and going into different hobbies or uh, businesses are closing. There's there's good equipment available at all times. It's just a hit or miss what's actually available. So buying used, I think, is a really important thing for people to consider. Now, honestly, I don't buy used very often and it's not something that I'm well versed in the process. So I went to Facebook and kind of asked for some public opinion on tips for that, fo- you know, that folks use when they buy used tools. So I got a bunch of, uh, of tips here from people on Facebook. If you guys want to sit tight, I could read some of these. Please sure. do. Some of them are real gems. I, I like. I them. love the sound of your voice. I know you do. I'll make a recording for you. Um, go to woodtalkshow.com. You can listen to quite a bit. Oh, I wish they had that on a streaming thing. That'd be awesome. Do you, do you have a track where it edits out my voice and Matt's voice and we can just listen to you? <laughs> I should do that. <laughs> the, we'll call them like the Mark, the Mark Cuts or something. <laughs> All right. So uh, Brian Aid, I guess that's how it's pronounced, says, if you're looking on Craigslist for a jointer, also search for joiner without the T. If you find a jointer while searching for, or if you find a jointer while searching joiner, it probably means that they don't know what the tool is worth and you can get a better deal. (laughs) That's horrible, but that's (laughs) I'm writing that down right now. It's a good tip, right? That's great. Uh, Is that like (laughs) Right. Yes. Um, Josh McIntosh says, read reviews on the product to identify areas that could be prone to breaking, corrosion, etc. Ask as many questions to the seller as possible surrounding the condition and performance um, and possibly go take a look at the tool if you can. Um, Also, consider buying secondhand from a reputable retailer. Yeah, factory reconditioned is a great option. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rocco McCombs says, try and get a peek at all of their tools. The condition of the stuff they keep may give you an idea of how they treat of what's what's for sale. Kenneth Nelson says, be honest, evaluating the value of your time. I'm retired and my time is worth less money, that is, uh, and is more available than it used to be. So I can afford to fiddle with used machinery. When I was working, it would have been foolish. So that's a good perspective because a lot of people say, oh, it's my hobby. It's my spare time. But if you only have a couple hours every weekend to be in the shop, do you want that time spent messing with your jointer because it's always out of alignment? Exactly. You know, so I think it's a a time value proposition too. Uh, Eric Howes says, I have quite a bit of older 1950s and 60s power tools in my shop. Some inherited, some bought at a good price. Uh, He recommends going to vintagemachinery.org to uh, get more information on that. He says, one word of caution for older tools, carefully check cast iron pieces. They can be prone to corrosion and or cracking. I inherited an old Atlas table saw that had both trunnions rotted and cracked to the point of being useless. They literally fell apart in my hands. If I hadn't discovered that ahead of time, they might have failed while I was cutting, creating a dangerous situation. So good to know. Uh, Brian Clan says, if a tool is $200 new and it's junk, that doesn't mean that it's a bargain at $50. It's just a cheaper <laughs> piece of junk. That's just, that is deep, man. That is really That profound. is deep. I like that. Uh, Tyler Williams says, be patient. I watched Craigslist for at least a couple of months before I found a jointer, eight inch Delta, 20 years old, great shape, great price. Just keep panning the dirt. Yeah. Just keep panning the dirt until you find a diamond. Also try it before you buy it. A couple more here. These are great. That's why I'm reading them all. Uh, Richard Miller says, definitely look at multiple resources to find customer reviews. Take note if you see trends or if there's a noticeable difference in tone and content of the reviews from one site to another or one year to the next. Consider refurbished tools. Oh, he's got quite a few tips. Just uh, these are all from Richard. Consider refurbished tools since they often carry a limited warranty. Stick with brands that have a recent history of longevity. Don't buy from someone who won't let you test it. Bring your own bit, blade, sandpaper, or other accessory, as well as your own scrap. 
Don't get desperate. You have to be patient. Don't be afraid to say no if a given tool isn't what you want or in a condition that you can accept. While I'm happy with my used table saw, if I waited another day, I'd have a newer, cleaner model that came with safety gear. That's key. That one's huge. Yeah. Uh, I've fallen into that trap a couple of times with hand tools. You're like, eh, maybe I can deal with that. And mm-hmm. you end up regretting it. You yeah. know, if there's a missing part or something that I just, I have my list of walkaway points. If it has any of these, I just walk away because there's always going to be another one somewhere. Uh, right. That's key. That's huge. Well, and he also says, uh, that said, never check Craigslist after you buy, you'll just kick <laughs> yourself. <laughs> good, good tip there. Yeah, right. That's like Lee Valley. Every time I buy from them, they have a special, no like free shipping or something off generally just after I bought. <laughs> right. Uh, last one here from Sean Harper. He says, don't place multiple simultaneous simultaneous bids on the same hand plane on eBay. You just <laughs> might win them all and end up with three Stanley 71s and two Philister planes. Yep. Been there, done that. Good, good <laughs> tip. So um, I don't know if anyone, if you follow me on Facebook, go to my Facebook page. You'll see I asked this question on it's Wednesday night and uh, there's quite a few responses. I only took a small little smattering of the ones I thought were cool, um, but there's a lot of great advice from a lot of people there who apparently have some good experience buying used. Um, so, all right, let's wrap this up. I uh, let's We can each kind of do a little closing statement here, if you will. Uh, for me, my thing is just like, I guess I just don't want to be up in other people's business so much. Like It's just kind of my thing. Like if you are happy doing something a particular way with a particular tool and you're getting good results and having success with it, that's great. If someone is doing it differently than you are, or they're spending more money than you are, there's no reason to give them crap about it. That's the way they choose to do things. So it's sort of a live and let live. Um, but I also agree overall that if you're going to do anything with your tools, err on the side of, you know, caution and get yourself something that has a little more quality. Um, most times you're not going to be upset with yourself that you bought a higher quality tool, especially if you've done the research and you know that the extra money you're spending will give you a tool that will make it more pleasurable to use. And if you operate that way, there's no reason to be upset, you know, because you don't have to be upset that your neighbor's buying a better tool than you are. Just, you know, deal with your own situation. Don't be so focused on what other people are doing. <laughs> That's the part that drives me nuts. But uh, uh, Shannon, how about you? Closing statements, closing arguments. I think that if you are thinking about getting a new tool, um, certainly I agree with with Mark and, you know, get get really, you're not going to regret buying a, a good quality tool. You will regret buying a lower quality tool. But make sure you have a reason to get that tool. Mm. And, and not just, oh, I could have used that on the last project. Multiple reasons. Um, I could have used that on the last couple of projects. Mm-hmm. Um, let the projects and the tasks at hand dictate what you buy. Um, I see this a lot in hand tools. We are told that you have to have these planes um, to be a hand tool woodworker. And you buy those tools and you discover that you hate milling by hand. So now suddenly you've got a joiner and you've got a four plane and they just sit there and gather dust. Then you do regret buying that higher quality tool because you just don't use them anymore. So um, if you are, you know, you've obviously got to try it before you know you hate it or before you know you like it. So in those instances, maybe then I would consider buying a a cheaper tool just to get the foot in the door. if there's no other way to go and try it, like go to a friend's house or go to a Lee Nielsen hand tool event or something like that, just make sure there's a reason for that purchase. Sounds good. How about you, Matt? 
Well, I, there's really not much more to add. I think both of you have hit points that I, I definitely feel strongly about. I'll just simply say, you know, live and let live. Uh, d- d- don't get so uptight about what somebody else is doing. Uh, if you find a way that works for you, that's fantastic. But it's not the only way out there to do the same exact thing. Uh, so just just enjoy what, what you're doing and don't freak out about what others are doing. And I, and I feel... I'm just going to wrap this up a little bit by saying I'm at that point where I have an appreciation for the finer things in life. Fine wines and cheese. Exactly. And and the, the saws to cut them. Right. So. <laughs> that, that's, Do they make that's a festal cheese slicer? Ooh, I don't know, but awesome. they should. They definitely should. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that just about wraps it up. Um, man, I enjoy these these single topic episodes. I love, I hope everyone at, uh, at home that's listening to this or in your car, well, I think most people listen during commutes, but uh, really hope you guys enjoy this too. And uh, we get a lot of good feedback on them. So we will continue to do them as long as you continue to enjoy them. And uh, Matt, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right, folks. Hey, if you have a comment, question, suggestion, uh, or maybe a single topic suggestion, especially, you have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. You can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, or you can leave us a comment over at our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads for today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com, where, of course, you can leave comments there in any of the shows, especially this one or whatever one's coming up. Wait, no, that's in the future. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Can't comment on future posts. Not yet. That the, well, you that could, could, and maybe we'll put a show around it. That could be a suggestion. Mm, All right, never mind. Sounds good. All right, well, yeah. hey, remember, whatever tools you use, have fun, enjoy yourself, and be safe in the workshop. My tools are better. <laughs> they probably are. But Get your hands off my tool. <laughs> that's another problem. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. See, See ya. ya. information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. <laughs>